What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Armandus Amigos podcast show. This is the third episode, so thank you so much for listening to this. I really appreciate it. Um, today, I am speaking to Jock Panzerkro, and he is a close friend of mine from high school. Jock is very interested in bird watching, something that I know nothing about, and it was really interesting to learn more about it. So, without further ado, here is the podcast with Jock Panzerkro. Enjoy. What is up, Bonsagro? How are you doing? Good and you, man. Yeah, no, all right, all right. Awesome. How's your week? Uh, It's pretty good. How's yours been? Yeah, not too bad. Like, um, trying to keep business as usual. Yeah. Under these unusual. I think seven or eight, eh? Yeah, but I mean, like, is it is it Saturday? Is it Sunday today? I think it's Saturday, right? Uh, yeah, it is. It is Saturday. Yeah, I've but it's tough. To track. Say again, Pansipro. Mm. Yeah, it, it's really tough to tell what the day of the week is because everything's like so homogenous. Like exactly. nothing's really standing out. Everything's been thrown topsy turvy, and there's like no routine, and it's just it's just chaos, man. Absolute chaos. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, really difficult so on individuals at this stage. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, people who like routine, I think I think it's hard for them. Um, and people who like you know going having that nine to five, going in at nine, leaving at five. I I know some people. I'm personally not like that. But I know some people who really do dig this, like having a set schedule. Are you one of those people? I, I'd say, yeah, uh, I'm definitely in that group of people. Um, I like the the routineness about it. I like the the stability of knowing who you're going to see that day mm-hmm. and knowing what you're going to be up to that day and just getting things done in that order. Um, it, it's mm-hmm. like a little checklist. Yeah, that's kind of how I see productivity in my sense. Um, sure. And especially with my job where I'm, I'm in quite a social role. So I get to interact with a lot of people from mm-hmm. different backgrounds and you don't know always where they're coming from, but you've got to be sharp and you've got to try and incorporate them as best you can in, in your daily routine. Um, mm-hmm. In order so, to get, Pansakro, what is it? You, what is it? What you do? What do you do? Mm, so, I've actually been taking a gap year last year, um, nice. during 2019, and it's kind of extended now a bit with the whole um, the Corona outbreak. Let's call it that. Okay. Um, and yeah, I've been working as a full time tutor at Master Math here in Northcliffe, Johannesburg. Oh, epic. Mm, and I've, I've been there the like for minds. quite a few years. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah, like trying to get them inspired, um, try and get the, the most out of people, unlocking potential. Mm. Dude, you would have been, it, was a, it would have been a very hard sell for me to come to and do some master maths. You would have had a, a, a lot of trouble with me. I can guarantee you that. 
<laughs> really, <laughs> I'm sure oh, we've we've got some tough clients. We've got some tough clients, but they they're good. Uh, they I, I like them. I, I think I've got the patient level. Yeah, at the end of the day, I've been taking a gap year, and this is more or less what I'm doing after my studies. And okay. yeah, what did you study, man? At the wave. So I I did a dual degree um, mm-hmm. at Vic. They offer a dual degree in chemistry and uh, chemical engineering, both the uh, coordinated degrees. Whoa, that's insane. So you have basically you have two degrees, and both of them are in uh, chemistry and, and chemical engineering, those kind of realms. But, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So you're a modern day alchemist. <laughs> I, I wish to believe that. Eh? <laughs> a little bit of magic. Create some potions. Now trying to like unlock with the students there at Mastermind. Oh, awesome. We're, we're patients class every Thursday if you want to join. What class is this? A maths class? And potions, potions. Potions? Maths we do <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's actually to... Uh, to um, uh, what can you call it? Two um, subjects that actually go well together. So you're teaching maths, and then at the same time, you're in you're, the same time you're into chemistry. Have you ever heard of nootropics before? Nootropics? Mm. Mm, no, I, I didn't. It sounds familiar. Are you into like biohacking at all? Have you done some research about biohacking before? Like uh, I'm, I'm a fan of genetics and. To a certain degree, definitely genetical uh, ge- or genetic manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, no, um, I think you 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 have a bit more information on that field. Yeah, well, it's quite interesting. Um, I came across it in um, in high school, obviously tr- to try and find ways to uh, to to make studying easier. And um, well, basically, yeah, what nootropics is is just uh, it's different chemicals that actually help your brain perform better. And some people are really like super into it and they have like different stacks of nootropics that they take together. So like different combinations at different like quantities and everyone has their, you know, like own opinion mm-hmm. on what works best, which is obviously a difficult thing to define because everyone's brain is going to be different. Um, yeah, yeah. But there's, um, there's definitely some very interesting compounds out there that can boost your brain in a sense. Um and I think there's, yeah, I, I would be very interested. I've, I've taken um, a few nootropics before, uh, nothing serious. I mean, like some of the, hmm. some of the compounds you can get over the counter at like any pharmacy, like L-theanine. I'm sure you've heard of that before. L-theanine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that one of the amino acids? I, I think it is actually an amino acid um, and it's really good for regulating mood and um, curbing anxiety and apparently also focus. Um, so I've experimented with that. Um, it's very mild, so um, you can mm. you can feel like a, a little bit of an increase in in you know your focus and decrease in anxiety. Um, but yeah, it's difficult to say whether it is actually um, it's actually working or if it's like a placebo effect because the the mind's quite a powerful <laughs> thing, hey. Of course, yeah. So anyway, I just very powerful that- tool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I just thought that that would be quite cool since you're into chemistry and you're also um, 
in the field of um you know like education and uh, uh, applying your mind essentially those those two things um could go quite well you should you should probably check some of that stuff out there's a guy his name is D- uh, dave asprey have you heard of bulletproof coffee before i haven't eh? <laughs> tell me more it sounds interesting okay so it's um uh, have have you seen these people they mix like butter into their coffee not really i've mixed condensed milk in but butter oh. wow <laughs> That's like a very typical South African thing, the whole condensed milk and coffee thing, hey? Mm-hmm. Is there a name for that? Sure, I'm not too sure. I don't think it's police coffee. <laughs> no, I think police coffee, police coffee, <laughs> the one, where the you one put, with like, the brandy. You put some brandy in your coffee. No, that's more my vibe. <laughs> <laughs> but what's this bulletproof coffee? Oh, I digress. Um, so they anyway, put some- yeah, so it's basically um, you put like um, grass-fed, grass-fed butter, <clears throat> excuse me, grass-fed butter with MCT oil. MCT oil is from a coconut. Um, and yeah, you basically blend that in with your morning coffee. And it makes this like really thick, foamy kind of cappuccino vibe. Apparently, it tastes pretty good. I've, I've made one or two in my life. Mm. Um, it's not terrible. Um, and it's really good for your brain. Um because what your brain essentially wants in the morning is those kind of fats to get going. That's the theory. So, yeah, probably a lot of omega three and omega six in the right ratios. Yeah, I'm, I don't know if, if if that's the reason for the butter, um, but yeah, it's quite um, it's quite cool. I actually forgot about that bulletproof coffee thing for a while, and I'm quite a coffee fan. I don't know about you. Are you? Sure. Yeah, you must see me at work. Eh? That's that's what we operate on. Oh, you guys just that's what we feel. Coffees all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just take mine black and straight. No, no sugar. No nothing. Oh my no. gosh! You're one of those people who actually just hate themselves. <laughs> so something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I could never. Got to have your poison. Got to pick your poison. Yeah, pick your poison. I guess. Eh? No, geez. I need milk and I need sugar. <laughs> so um anyway um thank you for being on my podcast today i really appreciate it um thank you for taking the time to to chat to me Um, 100 awesome man yeah so like the reason why i started this is literally just to um well i actually don't know why i started with the podcast but i think like it's become a little bit more clear the more i've been doing and i think the the reason for being behind it is literally just to have a platform, to have really interesting um, conversations with my friends about things that they find interesting. Um, And I think at the end of the day, I'm going to learn a lot. And whoever listens to the podcast is going to learn a lot. And I think I have a name for it. Do you want to hear it? Of course. Yeah, let's go. Okay. So I'm going to call it Armando's Amigos. That's it. Hey, nice. On theme. Yeah, man. That's That's nice, man. Yeah, I don't want it to be too serious. <laughs> Say that again. We're all the amigos for Armando. Yeah, yeah. Just like super chill chats with all my amigos. Uh, I don't want it to be too serious. Um, but I do want it to be like really cool and educational at the same time. Um, so, mm. And I think yeah. the way you think, the, the way you think and communicate with people, like you kind of, 
tie all the the loose ends together and oh, is, kind of give that whole rounded appeal to it. You know, thank like you. <laughs> I think you've always been a very good communicator. Oh, dude, that means a lot. Um, sometimes I feel like it's exactly the opposite, where I'm just creating more loose ends, and like the further I go into the conversation, <laughs> the more lost it gets. But um, it always seems to kind of come back to the original point, which is just to have a, mm. a cool chat, you know. So I mean, the the reason why uh we we I phoned you the other night and um I asked you to be on the podcast, and I was like, oh, I don't know how we actually started talking about it, but I know that you're into um bird watching that's right yeah no, that's really since cool, i was um, yeah yeah so since i was like six or seven um i would go around cresta into all the bookshops and especially with the nature section so i used to watch a lot of documentaries on bbc and nature um all that and it really fascinated me about all the bi- biodiversity that you have mm-hmm. and then in, in these bookshops in Cresta or any mall I went to, really, I didn't go to the toy section at all. I went into the bookshops and looked at bird books. Whoa, um, that's so wholesome. I found, <laughs> I found the bird books to be like the most diverse set of animals that I could find. Oh, yeah. Okay. And Did you realize that like quite early part, on? Were you, were you like specifically yeah. looking at like different animals and you were like, Okay, like all these buck look pretty interesting, but they kind of all ha- look the same, brown, few different spots. And then you saw the birds and it was, you just realized, yeah, what did you, how did you come across that? Yeah, so I, I think with uh, bird behavior and bird biology in general, um, there's a lot of things that change within one year for a bird. So some of them migrate, so you don't see them far off the earth. Some of them mm. change feathers and plumage. So the male, he'll be dressed up in a in a very neat set of suits that looks like a tuxedo sort of thing oh. uh, to attract the females in summer. But then when it's wintertime, they all look the same again. And I was quite amazed by this dynamics within the bird, bird world. Mm-hmm. So also, um, I, I think just having all those experiences with the the nature photography and um, the documentaries, seeing the whole ecosystem cooperate, uh, that that was always such a humbling experience and grounding experience for me. And the role that birds played to me were like, they're like these little communicators. They're like these little troops that would uh, come through the habitats and do their thing, but also cooperate with other bird groups from different species uh, to actually cooperate together to maximize resources. And that's something I really, I I found really interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that birds from different species actually work together to kind of, you know, at the end of the day that they all survive. That's very interesting. Yeah. So like, it's called a a bird party. No joke. What? It's literally called a bird party. <laughs> the birds have party. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty awesome. <laughs> That's super interesting. So how mm. did you... It's it's one thing reading about and seeing um, birds in a book, in a bookstore and, and at home on, um, on mm. TV. 
And then it's a completely different thing actually going out there and like looking at them firsthand. How, how did you, did you immediately start um, noticing more birds? Um, is it something that because it was top of mind, you just automatically start, you know, like when you, when you think of like, you want to buy a certain car, you start seeing them all over the road. Was it the same kind of thing with bird watching? Because it was top of mind, you would see a lot more birds around and notice them more. Mm, yeah, I, I definitely say that there there's that aspect of um, my mind was on them. And whenever I was out, maybe in the city or at sh- uh, shopping centers, even uh, wherever I was, even at school, I would kind of be looking out for them subconsciously. And mm. as you say, you're paging through these books in the shop and later on buying your own one. Um, but all of a sudden, you, you start seeing these birds in real life and you try to identify them. And I think oh, that's, so that's that where the, the game begins. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. You try and identify them. So oh, awesome. all these pictures are becoming real life. And I think starting off with 10, then 20, then 50, in a, in a, of, in a, of being a to identify. Year. Yeah. Are you mm. talking about how, how many you can identify? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when, when I started off, um, you, you just get to know your garden birds pretty much. Um, mm. Obviously, they're the, pretty much the most available or accessible at that stage. But fortunately for me, I live in, a, in an estate where we had a local bird mm-hmm. club. And oh, wow. I, was, I was fortunate enough to actually join this group of very knowledgeable and very open and sharing people that were so willing to help me learn. Because mm-hmm. obviously, if, you, if anyone opens a bird book, you're probably going to be hit with around 200 to 300 pages of bird images. Now, that's quite a lot. Exactly, exactly. Even though they look so pretty and you can see how the plumage changes in the year because they, they give you how the breeding plumage looks like and non-breeding, um, all of that is really difficult as a beginner to grasp and understand. And yeah. that's why I'm, I'm infinitely grateful for what that group of people did for me. Um because they were able to actually connect sounds, the bird calls, and not just viewing them as part of the oh. identification process. Oh, so it's, it's kind of... Now we're already moving into a completely different sphere of identifying these birds. So not only, exactly. now, not only by looking at them, but also by hearing the sounds they make. That must be quite... Um, is that hard to learn? Um. It is quite hard. I think it's, yeah, it's definitely not not easy because I've got mm. personally a CD that has around 300 calls of birds that are in South Africa. But bear in yeah. mind that South Africa has over 850 recorded bird species. Over 850? So I only, yeah, over 850 okay. different types of bird species that have been recorded. Okay. And uh, Out of them, about 600 to 650 are more or less regular or resident bird species. The, the remainder amount migratory. are more, uh, more like, they are migratory, but even to the extent where they become rare vagrants. 
So they maybe get recorded once or twice in the whole history. And those are the birds that got blown off course on migration routes. Oh, okay, okay. So I remember... Mm. Well, why do they do that? Yeah, why, why, do, why do they... Do they deliberately go off course? Or do oh. they get stuck in a place? Mm, no, it's usually related to weather conditions. Uh, and sometimes it's kind of a, a random event because birds actually have this sensory organ or it's like a gland in the base of their bottom bowl um, that can pick up the magnetic field of the earth. Yes, this I've actually um, seen somewhere. Mm. It's basically like a little compass in their in their beaks. Is it, in, is it located in their mouths, in their beaks? Yeah, it's like just where the beak goes into the throat. It's in that oh, region. Okay. Hmm. And yeah, basically what happens is if there's an anomaly with maybe uh, increased solar activity or the, the magnetic sphere of the Earth has changed a bit, uh, some birds may lose track of the migration path. And I remember this one case. Um, there, there's this migration path from China over Indonesia and into Australia. And okay. one of the birds use of that path is called the Asian Dowager. And this is like a, a seabird. It, it's on the mudflats and it, it eats shells, the, the slugs and shells and all the other invertebrates it can get in the, the mudflats. But mm-hmm. one of them got um, blown off course either by a storm or one of these magnetic anomalies. And they end mm-hmm. up in KwaZulu Natal in 2007 and 2008. Okay. And yeah. this caused for like. Someone spotted them. Yeah, someone spotted it. And like a lot of people went to go watch this bird because it's probably the only time like, that South Africans would be able to get to see it. them. Yeah. Mm hmm. That see is those absolutely. 200. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people love that. Hey, people. Actually, yes, I'm guessing the, it's quite a dedicated community. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, so, is that an what, what that, especially with the twitches, um, the, the twitches are like very dedicated to the, to the whole bird watching what is the, list. What is a twitch? So, the, the twitches or the, the twitch is actually chasing behind these special birds that are vagrants to your area. That you probably okay. won't see in the next decade or two. And that people... Is, okay, so very, very rare. And they it's like the people who have seen everything and they just want to see like those last few very rare cases. Exactly. Exactly that. Um, they, they love the excitement okay. of getting to these places. I mean, some of these places are really strange. It could be works in Makassar. It could be... Um, like a, a river floodplain on the Mozambican coast, I, any sort of Whoa, okay. environment. So there's, a, there's and an element of adventure involved to it, though. Of course, of course, of course, yeah. Yeah, because it's an outdoor activity. Um, I, I always like that. Like, I, I enjoy hiking myself, mm. um, but I've always, um, I've always wanted something extra. You know what I mean? Like, not just going out and just being in nature, 
have there being something a goal or something that you want to attain when you're there i think like bird watching is one of those things something that i've gravitated towards also was um i don't know if you've done it before geocaching no not really but i, I think i've heard of it um i think actually oh, you told man, me so about it fun. a few years ago oh man it is so much fun um it's basically the world's largest community of treasure hunters and it's basically you just become a part of this community and you can hide stuff um or you can just be someone who's looking for it and mm. they hide these caches in everyday like uh, places um and you can basically go look for them it's very rewarding it's very fun and it also is like just like bird watching it's um it takes you outdoors you know yeah into the thick of things right you have to understand mm. the environment to really get to these caches yeah it's it's places where you wouldn't necessarily go just out of your own accord it's forcing you to then go check mm. out and i've discovered so many cool things that i would have never seen um actually as soon as this lockdown is over i'm going to start geocaching again again <laughs> for sure <laughs> yeah, that's awesome but listen <laughs> To backtrack a little bit, I have a question and it's kind of stuck in my mind, right? Mm. You're telling me about these birds that fly all the way from China over Indonesia and then to Australia. How do these birds do it? I mean, like there's quite a lot of ocean between those countries, right? Or mm. um, So how do they do that? How do they fly for thousands of miles? How do they eat? How do they sleep? Do they sleep? Do they land on boats? Like what's, how does that work? Yeah, so they actually do eat on the wing and they, they do, they, they pretty much have their normal routine. It's just they have to cover a lot more distance in each day. So bird, a bird's day goes more or less like this where it wakes up and it's high, high in activity in the morning and in the late afternoon. So it's going to eat a bit. Mm -hmm have its breakfast so to speak and then it's going to start moving on with its group or the companions that it's traveling with okay and yeah they basically have these migration routes that are ancient paths forged by their ancestors so they, they kind of know it. yeah they just know it they, they just know it. there's an That's island crazy. coming up in the next 20 kilometers that's where i'm heading today that's my but a to-do list today and yeah let's get there and then they, they feed they get moving and then when they reach that area they'll find a spot to sleep maybe forage a bit if the sun is still up okay and yeah re repeat the next day wow that's so they like have these ingrained maps inside of their minds over like generations of birds and like they just know exactly where to go that's insane yeah, yeah, they they have pretty much the whole flight plan mapped out before they leave, to a certain extent. Yeah. Okay. Whoa, that's pretty awesome. And that that also that also causes a lot of uh, predators to actually ambush Ooh, them because they um, already know the schedule. Yeah. So they're like, okay, in the next uh, few couple of weeks, we're gonna be seeing a lot of. Uh, fast food deliveries coming to this island so <laughs> yeah nice okay in those raptors and even the reptiles like snakes 
Mm. Um, they can be ambushing um, the birds from the trees uh, whenever they come to land and things. Damn, son. It's a wild, wild world out there, hey? Mm. Yeah, but I, I think it's quite amazing because even in South Africa, we've got a bird that travels 6,000 kilometers in a year. Whoa. Where does it go? And this, this bird is tiny. <laughs> so it, it's called the willow warbler. Mm-hmm. And the willow warbler actually has three subspecies. So one in Western Europe, that's a bit more gray to, um, gray to green. Um, that, that one migrates to the Western end of Africa. Then in the Central Asian region and Middle East, there's the, the second subspecies of the willow warbler. And that one migrates to Central Africa. But then the one in Siberia and pretty much China and Mongolia, mm-hmm. those ones actually choose to travel from that northeastern corner all the way down to the southern peninsula of Africa, on the African continent. Where I'm right now. And yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the most southern point in so, Africa. Um, they, they visit, no, no, well, the, the whole so, southern the Africa. Southern region, okay. okay. So like Botswana, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, as well as South Africa and Iswatini. Okay, I'm 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 glad you're calling it Eswatini and not Swaziland. Yeah, I've updated my software. <laughs> <laughs> updated the GPS uh, uh, maps. <laughs> exactly the geographical locations. Okay. So, so this uh, this warbler, um, three subspecies, and the one travels six thousand kilometers. Is that the one that travels all the way from China to Siberia, all the way down here? Yeah, and, and that's just one way, right? So that's the three thousand kilometers. Oh, okay. But then it goes back in the other half of the year. So yeah, it, it ends up. I think maybe it, it's it may be more than uh, three um, three thousand kilometers one way. Oh, sheesh. Um, sure. But, but the, the bird that travels the most is the Arctic tern. Uh-huh. Now, this bird is the animal that sees the most sun during a year. Okay. Because at the end of the day, if you think, what, well, why do birds migrate? It's to keep to the warmer weather. Yeah, favorable where conditions. your resources, favorable conditions are always about. And yeah, basically they'll leave the Arctic by early autumn, late summer, travel all the way along the Atlantic coastline. So past Greenland, Iceland, Europe, Mm -hmm. and then go across there at Spain to Morocco, all the way along the coastline of Africa, Mm -hmm. and then reach Antarctica in about a month's time. They do that trip. That's insane. So, they, so yeah, they they, they don't distance in a very short time. Exactly. Yeah, it's quite surprising. Some birds even migrate between Europe and Africa in sixteen days. What? Yeah. That's crazy, man. Those are the kind of birds that when they stop at like the bird gas station, they're like, "Ah, oh, you want to sit here? Or you want to take that to go?" They're like, "Ah, oh, no, we'll just we'll just take that to go. We've got somewhere to be." <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> always gotta be somewhere always gotta be somewhere yeah. dude do you find like the concept of flying interesting like is is that another thing that 
because in my mind i just i just think it must be so free i mean the saying goes you're as free as a bird right i just think it must be in the, mm. the most amazing feeling to be able to soar through the sky and just be able to look down at everything from a bird's eye view it must be great right yeah i think it's a, definitely a different perspective and a different means of travel that um that would be really interesting to experience and maybe mm. in the future you know with all the Jet technology bus. that's going on i watched a hoverbike video Whoa. 3 years of free ago Mm -hmm. uh, that they developed this uh, so maybe one day but you know to me i'm not too too fascinated about flying mm -hmm. i mean it's cool it's cool yeah I mean, it's amazing that we're able to I, do it but yeah continue yeah i, I think well, what draws me most to to bird life uh -huh. is like understand the environment and the habitats that um, bird species occur. Mm -hmm. So each species pretty much has its own role in its habitat. And as I've mentioned previously with the bird parties, some of the bird parties form in winter when you've got the, the least amount of insects available. Okay. Um, so some of them, like your thrushes and your robins, will stick to the ground and try and flush as many insects from the ground into the trees okay. where they're more available to the ones to the birds that are actually in the mid canopy and in the lower branches. So those are more like your green woodhoopoos, um, as well as your Cape white eyes. Mm -hmm. And then you've got your canopy species, um, which are like your, your, um, black headed bulbuls and your, um, European bee eaters, those sort of birds are hanging around the canopy, driving insects from the sky down into the bush. Oh, and so, so more eyes are able to see more prey. Exactly. Okay, so, so the, so as, as the aim of the game is just to others. Get... Sorry, Panzer, I didn't mean to talk over you. Please continue. No, no, no problem. So as one group of birds flushes the insects to the other level, those birds also flush those insects down. So both um, parties contribute and get the benefits at the same time. Mm. That's really cool. I think society in general could take a, a, a leaflet out of that book um, about working together, you know? Mm. People at the top doing more for the people at the bottom. Exactly, yeah. Like an equal spread of work to make the to make everyone's lives easier at easier. the end of the day. Yeah, but it doesn't really work like everyone, that in real life, eh? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Unfortunately. Everyone's going through the same hardships to some extent, mm -hmm. some hardships more than others, but um, yeah, I guess if we all learn how to work together and use our skills on the right level. And, and, um, and like split resources properly like this the word is uh, i think distribute resources properly not like we don't have enough resources it's just we haven't mm. figured out uh, we haven't figured out the way or the ways to distribute them properly to everyone yeah that's true um i mean we live in a time where cash is king right 
Well, I mean, and that that, that definitely is, is causes that some thinking? divide. Isn't is the is the card not king now? Or I mean, the microchip uh, or the <laughs> what? Well, I get what you're saying, though. I get what you're saying. Yeah, like currency is king. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the more money you have, the more you have, the more you can do. I guess. Um, mm. but resources isn't isn't just about money, I guess. In um, well, this comp- this conversation has gone completely a different di- direction, but I think it's also <laughs> um, creativity is such a huge resource that people don't press upon enough. Like if you can use if you can use your mind and apply your mind, um, you could do amazing things with that. You could you you people literally make money from ideas from just thinking about cool stuff. Like that that's I mean th- that's pretty insane. Doesn't, you don't always need money to make money. Yeah, that, that's your innovators. That's your innovators and entrepreneurs. People mm. really see an opportunity to yeah. to help out others. Yeah. Um, no matter how big or small that group may be, they they take that risk with the with the creativity. And yeah, that's definitely an aspect that um, a lot of fields of um, career really need is creativity mm. uh, exploring those, those niches in the in the so-called human habitat yeah is there anything because you, you know like technology has always mimicked um biology so i mean like the camera we're, mm. is designed very much around the way an eye works um have you ever seen anything interesting in with with your bird watching and watching birds interact with each other, um, that you've thought well, like, wow, this is this is quite interesting. This could be like something that we could, as society could learn from them, um, or maybe something we could bring to society that could help. Have has anything like like a thought like that ever crossed your mind? I know it's quite an intense question. <laughs> it, it's an intense question, but I've actually got two cases. Oh, awesome. unfortunately, I don't think. I, I, I don't think I've ever thought of something um, that we can acquire from birds. Um, but the thing with birds, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what I really found interesting lately, and now I'm just going a bit off topic again, is that their minds are at a higher refresh rate or a higher frequency than our minds. So, you know, like our AC current in, in, in the grid so our lights are like uh, 60 uh, hertz. Yeah. They get to see the flash of light. Oh. That's like the, 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 the frequency ticker. Wow. Okay. So in the light. That's how the fast light. their minds work. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They get to see every light flicker if it's on an AC grid. Whoa. That must be Which quite was to me astounding and... Oh, yeah, like, what? How do you cope with that? Yeah, How are like they still around? Sit- epilepsy all day. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound fun. Yeah, it really doesn't. Um, or it could, hey, dude, maybe that's why they call it a bird party, because they've got these, like, party. permanent <laughs> disco lights. <laughs> permanent <laughs> strobe lights going on. <laughs> but, yeah, actually... um I think I admire that property of birds. Okay. Like they're so wired to react um, that I think if we could base some sort of technology um, around that, mm. but us as humans have actually already used 
I can think of two examples now. So the the airplanes, especially the Airbus and Boeings, uh-huh. I'm sure you've seen it. At the ends of the tips of the wings, there are those little flaps that go up. Yes. They're, they're, they're like, um, they jut out from the wing, right? Yeah. And those are actually there to help stabilize the wing mm-hmm. and make it more durable during flight. Oh. So there's less... Um, what's called drag on the wing. Yes. Okay. So that, that idea was taken from vultures because vultures also fold the tips of the wings um, in that upward motion, oh. jutting out from the wing, and that, that helps them cover a lot of distance per day because obviously vultures are scavenger birds, so they don't hunt. They have to rely on hunt to get food. Mm-hmm. So they may end up traveling hundreds of kilometers or like uh, up to 200 kilometers a day. And then that little food. trick just reduced their drag. Yep. And that's that helps them being um, more effective at flying longer distances, okay. conserving energy. I wonder, did they... And then the other way? idea is also... Yeah, please continue. Uh, I, I, I'm, sure they, I, I'm sure they did. Yeah. I'm sure they wondered why do birds or those big raptors especially the vultures why do they want to turn that wing up like that yeah i mean there must be a reason to to keep it in that position and then they realized yeah it's to reduce drag Hmm. that's so interesting and then the, the other point is also about energy conservation um and i think the uh well the the case i have heard of is in japan their bullet train Mm-hmm. The bullet train's nose is designed like a kingfisher's beak. Okay. Okay. So we know like kingfishers are aquatic birds. Mm-hmm. They'd be perched on a, on a reed or a stick above water. And whenever they see a, a fish in, in darting range, mm-hmm. they'd dart down, they'd fly down, pierce the water, catch that fish and bring it back up to their perch to eat. So they've got to have this incredible um, piercing, pretty much streamlined design to penetrate from air to water and back from water to air. Whoa. Okay. That's that. That's what inspired the, the design that the nose of the bullet train in Japan, it apparently made the, the um, aerodynamics of the whole train mm-hmm. uh, increased by 30%. That is a small design like that. That is so interesting. Yo, um, I actually didn't know those two facts. Thank you so much for sharing that because I would have never known that if you didn't just tell me about it. Yeah, no, that's cool. And, and I think what's really, what's really a common theme here is energy con- conservation. Yeah, yeah. The most efficient way to get from A to B or yeah, well just remain existing. That's so, that's cool. Yeah. Energy conservation. You're big on that, right? You, you want to kind of take your career in that direction. Yes. Yeah. No, um, you, you spot on with that. Um, I think to me, a valuable asset of any industry is to be as efficient as possible with mm. the resources you have in order to create what you want. Mm. Um, I think that's incredibly attractive to me and effective. Yeah, that, that's something I'm going to be looking out. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Like what what they say with one man's poison is another man's food. Um, yeah. It just depends on how you look at the whole scenario. It just depends on you know, yeah. what, what you want to achieve. Yeah, I think nature is, is designed actually to be such a perfectly circular um, uh, system. And as human beings, we've just kind of outpaced that and disrupted it so much. Um, but I think I, I definitely mm. am seeing more of a movement towards people being more mindful about that and wanting to make um, just kind of complete that circle again, you know, um, like lots of companies that are stopping with plastic. That's, that's like one, something that frustrates me so much. And it frustrates me because I mm. contribute to that cycle as we all do as you know, if you buy anything from the shops, eight out of 10 times, you're going to have, it's going to be wrapped in plastic, some sort of plastic. Um, yeah. And it's something as simple as that. Like if we could get rid of that, it just makes the circle a little bit more circular again, or the system a little bit more circular again. That's it. I think at the end of the day, like packaging containing plastics, mm-hmm. I, I think somehow the, the producers think we find it more aesthetic. Well, we probably but do. Obvious, uh, like to me, because of branding. I, I find it. Yeah. It's because mm-hmm. of branding. But I, I find it like more suitable to have maybe cardboard mm-hmm. um, or some sort of see-through biofilm that can be used as a substitute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, with the cardboard idea, I, I wouldn't mind buying my tomatoes in a cardboard box instead of a polystyrene with cling wrapper. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know. But I- and, and to me, that's that's a an attractive way of branding something I, it, it, yeah. it shows that the the producer is valuing your efficiency and effectiveness yeah. uh, quite high from a from a like manufacturer's standpoint i think the reason more of them are not doing it is probably because it is more expensive it is more expensive to sell me coffee in a compostable compostable coffee cup than it is to sell me coffee in a plastic cup it just is um and then from, from mm. a consumer's perspective, especially like young people um, like we are, is, um, yeah, I also appreciate when something comes in like a reusable or like at least a, um, like a paper um, packaging instead of plastic. And it's like brown with just normal black lettering on it. You know, it doesn't have to be colorful or anything. I just, I like that more than I like mm-hmm. other packaging, like plastic packaging or something that's over the top. But I just, because I think it's because we as millennials are so much more aware of environmentalism um, since since we've been born. It's been so, a, a much bigger topic than it's been in like our parents and our grandparents' lives. Of course. Yeah. Um, as you say, like even the, the rustic design of the packaging mm in a more environmentally suitable way. I think that's attractive. Me too, man. That's something my eye would catch, you know? For sure, for sure. Uh, I think a lot of brands and, are and, going and towards the that. value of the company. Sorry, Jock, just repeat that, please. It just shows you the, the value that the, the company Places on uh, backs behind its product. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, well, I mean, like maybe maybe we can take some more inspiration from nature. Like, I mean, bananas come in their own packaging. Why can't we like, develop like <laughs> something? Why can't we develop packaging that grows around the food, like a, a mold, but like a healthy mold, and it like just <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you let this mold go around all of your. Yeah, well, like even post picking, you could just put them in this mold packaging. Yeah, and then you just peel the mold off, and you've got this perfectly ripe fruit. You know. I don't know. Stop. Could work on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite cool. I hope the, the next, cool to think about. Uh, yeah, the hope uh, the next environmental Elon Musk is listening right now. We would like some moldy packaging for the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I think for me, what's also become quite apparent in our millennial sort of growing up is uh, the role that recycling has also played mm. and the choices diets. Oh yeah. Like where does our food actually come oh, 100%. from? Asking those. Questions. Are you still a vegetarian? Jock? And what happens with. So I was, I was vegetarian for two years mm-hmm. and now I've gone to pescatarian okay. for the past two years. Oh. Okay. Um, it's actually oh, pretty much four years that I've stayed off red meat and chicken. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, the pescat- the pescatarian to to incorporate seafood like fish. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, t- to me it was a big step because on the one side I I had the health health reason where your omega threes mm-hmm. that are contained in plants like flaxseed and sunflower seeds and all those nuts mm-hmm. and whatnot. Yeah. Um, it's just simply not as bioavailable as the forms you get from seafood. Mm. Um, is the, so for instance, the, something the in your health, did you feel like that you needed to consume fish um, just because you were feeling like lethargic or what was the vibe? Yeah. So I wasn't necessarily lethargic, but I think my concentration span and yeah, just general uh, mental endurance um, took a, a little bit of a beating. You could feel, you could I, I think I caught it in time. Yeah, but but it could have been various other factors. Mm-hmm. I always had my iron levels checked and my B12 was always up to scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just made the, the choice to go pescatarian and try it out, see if I feel mm-hmm. better with my concentration span. And mental endurance, and yeah, it it did improve. Okay. Um, I must say that's very interesting. Um, yeah, but at the same time, like f- fisheries are certainly not the best um, at killing what they want, mm, right? Yeah, I mean they, they've got a lot of bycatch, yeah, a lot of bycatch a, that a, goes yeah, about a lot of things that get caught up in those nets, eh? Yeah, and, and that disrupts ecosystems globally. Yeah. Um, it is a problem. So what, what I reasoned as a as a good substitute is by, by making use of freshwater fish. Okay. So I've actually got a, a fishery or um, a fish shop quite close by, mm-hmm. and they sell trout sourced locally from Dahlstrom. Oh, wow. Um, so if I'm eating trout that have pretty much the same amount of omega-3s that I'd be getting from uh, seafood. Mm-hmm. Why, why not go that route? I mean, Absolutely. it's been produced inland. 
So there's less resources um, or less ecosystem disruptions. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that, that they, they are farmed um, in the open water ponds, but it's got uh, uh, less mercury in that uh, setup as well. Yeah, it's just more responsibly. Mm-hmm. I actually met um, in Franschhoek. They've got a massive trout farm there up in the mountains. Um, and I met the guy who actually uh, runs that. So um, so they basically provide the, the trout to Woolworths. And yeah, it's, bas- it's basically Woolworths. <clears throat> yeah, it's their big supplier. Um, they've got a farm in Franschhoek sure. and they've got a farm in Lesotho. And um, yeah, it was actually very interesting to um, hear how how it's done, and um, yeah, because yeah, I also I, I didn't I didn't know that you could actually do it in a responsible way. And after listening to what he had to say, I was like, okay, well, maybe there is a little bit of um, you know, uh, yeah, it's, leeway. It's leeway, leeway. Yeah, it's responsible. So it was quite interesting. Sure. So uh, you you feel that it's kind of changed your mind about how people can actually farm fish? Mm. Yeah, well, uh, just eating animals in general. Um, I'm still vegetarian, mm-hmm. and um, nice. I try and be as much as I can um, vegan. Um, and I'm actually I'm doing mm. research now to see if I can push myself into going like strictly vegan. Um, yeah and i think it's just from from my side the reason why i've never just gone full vegan is because i just haven't had the discipline with my diet and i've just been eating way too much pizza and burgers (laughs) so um fair enough yeah so so we'll see man i don't know like um it's it's that's why i asked you um it's very interesting to hear that you say that it might have had a slight effect on your brain um and Mm -hmm. i can maybe someday say that i feel perhaps a little foggy but then again it could be due to other factors like did i exercise yesterday did i get enough oxygen am i sleeping right like there's exactly. so many factors you know um exactly yeah but i think the fact that you're even just staying away from from re- from red meats and from chicken man you're already alleviating the earth from so much suffering and also just environmental damage like you just yeah it's just insane yeah. Um, how much you can actually prevent if you stick Resource to Resource expenditures. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well done, man. Oh, no, thanks. And yeah, let's keep it up, hey? Let's keep it going, understanding where our food meets our health and yeah. the environment. Yeah. I think it's such a beautiful thing, this whole, like the vegetarian vegan movement, it, it just brought people back to questioning what they're putting into themselves, mm. into their mouths. And I also just think it gives you a more compassionate state of mind. Um, like once you know mm. where you're, once you kind of realize what you were always doing, you know, unnecessarily killing animals um, and you stop doing that, you start to gain a, a lot more respect for like, not just animals, but for like, for humans as well, for everything. Like I don't kill bugs, man. Like I unnecessarily. Um, if there's an ant on me, I'll mm, try and help same. this little bugger out, you know, because I would always hope that <laughs> if there was like some creature much bigger than me, that they would um, help me out, you know, and not just squish me. <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Like, uh, please don't squish me. I won't squish you. But like whoever's bigger than me, don't squish me. 
<laughs> oh, that's cool. But um, I've always followed this um, principle yeah. uh, to my mind that I wouldn't eat anything that I wouldn't be able to kill myself. Okay. Like I would never be able to kill a pig or a, a cattle, you know, yeah, even yeah. a chicken. I wouldn't be able to kill. I'm pretty sure of that. Mm, mm. But yeah, you know, with fish, I, th- I think I would be able to kill a fish. Yeah. Uh, um, I like to think that I would be yeah. able to. But I haven't done it. Mm. So, yeah. It's very interesting that you say that, Jock. Like, I've always... And I don't know, like, maybe someone who's listening can chime in on this and give me more background. But I've also always just felt like, morally, it's like... And I know it's very... It's like a very weird thing to talk about. Like, But morally, I feel like eating a fish is better than eating a cow. And it's very difficult to draw the line because it's like, okay, well, if you're eating a fish is okay, then mm-hmm. eating a cow is okay. And if you're eating a cow is okay, then eating a dog is okay. But like for some reason, also something in my mind is just like the fish is a little bit less, I don't know, not sentient, but like, I don't know what it is. Do you kind of get that feeling too? Yeah, like the the species itself feels a bit more distant from us maybe mm-hmm. because of the whole evolutionary train where we separated from them a bit more early than birds did from us. Okay. Um, and obviously mammals like your, your cattle and that, uh, mm. those are really close to us. Yeah. So we see that similarity and obviously treat yourself like you treat your neighbor. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. That actually treat your neighbor sense. like you treat yourself sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that explains the vibe. But that is thought like I've also always thought why why would I kill a fish instead of a chicken? Yeah. Where do you where do you draw the line, you know? Yeah. That, that's it. <laughs> but the thing is, asking these questions already really helps us understand where, where our boundaries are. Yeah. Um, where our uh, like hunger for resources stops mm-hmm. and where we allow other people to then actually utilize further resources. Because obviously Nobody's, or not everyone's going to go vegetarian or pescatarian or vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've got a whole world of people and a lot of them will still eat meat. But I think for some people to just start changing their diets, um, being more conscientious about what they put into their mouths, mm-hmm. it, it goes a long way Yeah, in the whole uh, cumulative effect. Oh yeah, I have seen the ripple effect of of vegetarianism firsthand in my life. Um, I think sure. it's one of those things that is just like if the if you're um, a good example um, and you're a healthy human being, other people see that, and you don't try and unnecessarily force it down their throats. Then uh, then people are very interested in the lifestyle and very open minded to trying it. Mm. Exactly, like lead by example. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, this has been like a really, really awesome chat about. I think if I could summarize the the general feeling, it's just like nature is amazing. Nature is amazing, and we should definitely do more to try and respect it. Yeah, respect and learn from it. This, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Learn from delve into. There is multi multi levels of experiencing it from visuals to the sounds to the mm-hmm. tastes mm-hmm. you know so yeah 
I, I've also enjoyed this chat, Armando. Really yeah. appreciate being on here, sharing some ideas on birding, um, technology, mm, where we see been, ourselves with the We diet. have gone on a very interesting uh, journey with this conversation, and that's exactly how I want it to be. Um, so awesome. thank you so yeah, much no, for taking 100%. the time. Jock, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no. Awesome. Thanks, Armando. Jock, do you appreciate have, um, your time too. Before you go, right, um, for anyone who wants to reach out and maybe have a discussion with you on anything we talked about, maybe if someone is interested in birdwatching, um, where can they find you on Instagram or on Facebook? So I've got Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. My name is Jacques Bansegro. Mm-hmm. So P-A-N-S-E-G-R-O-U-W. And yeah, please ask me any question there. Um, on, on Facebook itself, I've actually got a few pages that I've liked, like BirdLife South Africa, that really is a useful way of experiencing um, or using experienced people to learn from. Um, and that the whole um, learning curve of birding is not so tough on yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And they share some awesome, awesome photos uh, that's just really inspiring and wanting to get traveling and getting out there into the adventure um, and yeah, going to see more birds. So yeah, hit up the, the BirdLife South Africa page as well. They do some awesome work with communities too. So for instance, um, on my trip last year, during my gap year, um, yeah. I was in KwaZulu-Natal and I used a local guide um, in one of the rural areas called Vakristro. And mm-hmm. this guide was so knowledgeable. Uh, his name was Norman. And he showed me 16 new bird species in one day. And Whoa. by that time, I was already close to 400 bird species that I've personally seen in my life in this country. So seeing 16 new ones in one day was really, really special. So wow, that's yeah, a massive jump. use of bird. Okay, awesome. Thank you for the knowledge. I'm going to go like their Facebook page. Um, Jock, once again, thank you so much for your time. And um, yeah, let's, uh, let's do this again soon, man. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> nice, Armando. Cool, Jock. Thanks, we'll chat man. soon, bro. Awesome. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye.